Once upon a time, in a land far away. I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast. It is finally October. The best month. The best of month the of the year. And it only seems like it took six years to get there in 2020. <laughs> oh my gosh. But it is a really great month. The fall, you know, has really gotten into full swing. It's cooled down a bit. Where I live, it's still like pretty warm, but not like unbearably hot and humid like it is all summer long. So that's great. Plus, you've yeah. got like one of the best holidays of all time, Halloween. Woo woo! And the best. Katrina's birthday. And my birthday's <laughs> in October. Yay! Which is why it's the best month. We get to celebrate the fact that you were born. Exactly. That's why everybody enjoys October. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is, and I think I talked about this last year too, because I like forced us to do Sleepy Hollow because there's a character in it that has my name. So yeah. it's always been my favorite story. <laughs> I don't know whether I love October be- and like Halloween because that's like the month of like my birthday or whether I would have been drawn to Halloween regardless of like when my birthday was. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's my favorite holiday my, by far. My son was born on Halloween. And so he's obsessed with Halloween as well. And we're like, is it because of the, his birthday or or what? Because he's also really into like spooky and scary stuff. Like my wife showed him yeah. Hocus Pocus, which I remember being a oh. kid. Like I remember being yeah. like, he's, he's four. And I remember being like eight or nine years old and parts of that movie still scaring the absolute crap out of me. Yeah. But like he loved it. She showed him Nightmare Before Christmas. And some of that is like, to her, like some of her like most terrifying nightmares or whatever. And he just like thought it was the funniest, most hilarious and joyful movie that he'd ever seen. So I don't know, maybe being born in October makes you some kind of freak like that. Yeah, maybe. And what's funny is like, I'm not a person that like loves horror movies, but I do. Oh, I love it when it's this time of year and just things get like, a little spookier, whether it's because it's like, oh, there's like less sun so that there's more darkness and so more opportunities to sit around at night and tell creepy stories. Yeah. So I would say that like my level of like creepy or spooky enjoyment is like really aligned with the story that I'm going to tell today. Mm. The story we're going to be telling is the youth who went forth to learn what fear was. And as we get into this story and the, yeah, that's a huge title. <laughs> I hope everybody, hope everybody is going to remember that one. So you'll see like when I'm telling this story that there are things where it's like, ew, that's so gross and delightful. <laughs> and when I'm reading this story and this is a Grimm's brothers tale and so that kind of gives us like time and place when like this story was uh kind of being told and circulated it's good to be back to the Grimm's brothers it's been a while i feel it is some people say that they're like the north star on the map of folklore i don't know if i agree with like that (laughs) but 
Like it has been kind of our like, oh, hey, it's been a touch point. Yeah, it's been a touch point throughout the podcast. But I just imagine the people who are sitting around like telling this story and kind of like the point of this story I'm imagining is the gross out humor in it Mm. because there's some definite like gross out humor. And I'm excited actually to see your reaction, Jeff, because I know that there is some stuff where you're like, no, I don't like that. <laughs> like Doolahan and his rotten cheese head. Yeah, when I was like describing that last uh. year and you were like, no. <laughs> I almost threw up, I feel like. Uh, I've gotten that before, like when I compare something that's gross with like a food. Because when you compare it to like a food or like a taste texture or something, it makes the person imagine it in their mouth. So yeah, I'm sorry I compared Doolahan's head to like, <laughs> like a rotting cheese or whatever. So the story that we're telling today, the youth who went forth to learn what fear was, it is a story that I imagine people were sitting around telling this story and it's got some like gross out humor in it. And it's just, it reminds me of like, humans have found the same things either like like gross or darkly funny or just like funny scatologically like for thousands of years like people people are very similar (laughs) like throughout time with like things that we are like oh that's like either like taboo or just like gross or funny because of how dark it is there's going to be some gallows humor in this episode so i hope everybody is ready and it's perfect because it is october let's get spooky the nights are getting longer and darker and so it's a great time to like sit inside and hear spooky stories so the youth who went forth to learn what fear was i think that's longer than east of the sun west of the moon feels like it So, long time ago, there was a father who had two sons. The oldest one was clever and intelligent and knew how to manage everything. And the youngest one was stupid (laughs) and could neither understand nor learn anything. And people would always say, he will surely be a burden on his father. (laughs) Which... I'm so glad we're finally telling a story about like two male siblings who are contrasted with each other instead of like two female, except we'll discuss this like later on after I tell the story that it's going to be interesting because it does not follow like that pattern where it's like, like, oh, the good and smart, like one is the one that succeeds. It's like, nope, you can, you can be dumb and succeed. Spoiler alert. Yeah, you can be dumb and succeed. We see movies that follow that same plot even today. <laughs> My husband knows that I really dislike movies about like dumb, rude idiots who aren't that good looking, who then end up with a super smart, intelligent woman. I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. It makes no sense, but I guess it does in kind of like a Jack and the Beanstalk situation. So now that I've ranted about something else, we'll get back to the story. So whenever something had to be done around the farm, 
the oldest son was always the one who had to do it because the younger brother just would always like bundle (laughs) everything up. But if the father asked the oldest son to fetch anything in the evening or like go out at night to get something, or if doing that led through a churchyard or a cemetery or any other kind of like spooky place, he would always be like, no, father, I cannot go there. It makes me shudder. Because he was afraid. So as clever and intelligent, as strong as he was, he was too afraid to like walk through like a churchyard at night. And at night on this farm, everyone would sit around the fire telling like creepy, spooky stories. Because classic. It's awesome. Everybody (laughs) loves doing that. (laughs) It's the pastime of the season, especially when the seasons are darker. Anyway, so the people who are sitting around telling the stories, you know, they try to outdo each other with kind of the scariest stories. And always the people who are listening would be like, that story is so scary. It gave me the shudders or like I have the shivers. I got goosebumps. The youngest son, he would sit in the corner and he would listen to other people saying that while listening to these stories. And he could not imagine what they meant. He had no idea what it meant to shudder. And so he kept saying, like, people are always saying, oh, this makes me shudder. This makes me shudder. And I'm not shuddering. What is shuddering? It must be another skill that I just don't understand (laughs) and that, like, I don't have. Which we're probably not going to get too deep into this. But, like, all throughout this story, I just keep thinking of people who have autism. Uh Uh-huh. And how they process feelings and emotion different than a lot of other people. And so, I mean, obviously the people who were telling this story, they probably had people who had autism in their life, but they didn't have like the words to describe it or like any way to like conceptualize that. And so as I'm telling this story... I'm going to keep mentioning how everybody called this guy like dumb or stupid or like an idiot. And I just want to say that doesn't necessarily reflect how I would describe people. I was trying to tell this story to my husband earlier and I was like, oh, so they were calling him stupid and dumb and like all this stuff. And my daughter was like, you're not supposed to say those words. It's not nice. And I was like, thank you. So she was calling me out on like, this story doesn't reflect any of our best selves. So anyway. It's not aligned with our values to be calling him a simpleton. Yep. So these are their words. They're not my words. (laughs) So one day his father went to this young man and he said, listen, you there in the corner, which is hilarious because for whatever reason, this baby was always in the corner. (laughs) For whatever reason, this guy was sitting in the corner. So the father went to his son and he said, you're getting big and strong and soon you will need to learn to do something that'll help you earn your bread. Your older brother, he is always working so hard doing things, but there seems to be no hope for you. And then the oldest son started laughing when he heard that. And it says he thought to himself, dear God, what a dimwit that brother of mine is, which I'm like, oh, my goodness. So unkind. Nothing will come of him as long as he lives. As the twig is bent, so grows the tree. 
which I thought was like an interesting little proverb turn of phrase. But yeah, basically is like if a tree is if a tree gets bent when it's like growing younger, it's not going to like straighten. Yeah, it'll just follow that. It's yeah, like it's always going to be a bent tree, which I'm like this older brother kind of a jerk it's fine we don't see much of him in the story people aren't trees people can change yeah or people also can be useful in like myriad different ways yeah so gosh this guy so mean so the younger son he kind of thought for a little bit and he was like well father i do want to learn something if it's possible i want to learn how to shudder I don't understand that at all, (laughs) but everyone seems to be able to do it. And so I want to be able to do that too. And like his brother, his like older brother and his dad just stared at him and were like, Oh my gosh, this guy he's like so dumb. Cause it, yeah. And his father basically is like, okay, yeah, maybe someday you'll like learn how to shudder, but that has nothing at all to do with like earning money. Yeah. So that's not even what we're talking about, dude. <laughs> that's how hopeless you are. So the dad just kind of like shook his head and like walked off. Cause he was like, I, you can't even have like a yeah. rational conversation. He's feeling like with this even guy worse about the situation than before. Yeah. Cause his son is just like not getting yeah. it. But anyway, soon after that, the sexton came to this family's house for dinner. And I'm assuming most people don't know what a sexton is. S E X T O N which is different from a sextant, which is S-E-X-T-A-N-T, which is a nautical tool. Anyway, so a sexton. (laughs) It is a person who works for a church as like a groundskeeper. So they make repairs. They keep up the lawns and the graveyards to like make sure that the whole property Uh, is like kept up and lovely and well trimmed. They also sometimes will uh, dig the graves in... Uh, the graveyard if that needs to be done and they also take care of the church bell so in the story they're just like oh and the sexton came to the family for dinner afterwards and so you have like no clue unless you know which i actually knew i knew that a sexton had something to do with like religion and like church stuff but i didn't know that it was like someone that's in charge of like the you know maintaining the physical things around the church like i kind of thought it was just one of the you know, like like a priest and a deacon and a, you know, a bishop. I was like, that's one of those types of things. But I don't know exactly what they were. But yeah, it's, like, it's, oh, like it's, it's way different than I thought. Yeah. And like when I was reading the description of that job, I was like, that job would kind of be perfect for somebody that like isn't afraid. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're like working in graveyards. And it's like just mostly like ma- manual labor that pretty much is like you you can do yeah. it as long as you can physically do yeah. it like you could do it so in my ha- i was like oh this would be a perfect setup for him so the sexton came to that family's house for dinner and at dinner the father was complaining to him about his troubles with his son because he was saying like my son cannot do anything and he is kind of a liability on us i'm gonna have to be taking care of him like into my old age if we can't figure out like what to do with him and Every time I ask him, like, what do you want to do in your future? Like, what do you, what are you interested in? He keeps saying that, like, he wishes he knew how to shudder, which is nothing. Like, that's not helpful, like, at all. 
And the sexton heard that and he was like, hey, if he wants to learn how to shudder, send him my way. <laughs> I live in a pretty spooky <laughs> place and I'm sure that I could teach him how to shudder. And then I like the the visual kind of thing he says. He's like, I will plane off his rough edges. So that's like another tool yeah. reference to a planing tool, like smooths out slats of yeah. wood so that you can use them to uh, build things. So the dad heard that and he like readily agreed because he was like, anyone who is willing to like take my son from this house would be great. So they packed up the younger son and sent him off with the sexton to go to the church. So the sexton decided that he was going to put him in charge of ringing the church bell. So he, you know, taught him how to do that. I mean, you pretty much, somebody just is like, hey, time to go up there. And then you go up there and you ring it. Yeah, easy enough. Anyone, anyone can do it. So... After a couple days of the sexton going up with him to teach him how to ring the bell, he was like, all right, you're going to be able to do this by yourself now. And the kid's like, all right, awesome. So in the middle of the night, the sexton went and woke him up so he could ring the bell. And so he went into the room, woke the kid up, and then he snuck off up the tower saying, you will soon learn what it is to shudder <laughs> as a diabolical aside. Uh, <laughs> so he snuck up the stairs ahead of the young man. So after the young man like got up, he walked up the stairs, got to the top of the tower, and he turned around and went to ring the bell rope. And he saw this figure standing up there all dressed in white at the top of the stairs. It says opposite the sound hole. (laughs) (laughs) Which just something about that phrase like makes me Uh laugh every time I have to say it like out loud. The sound hole. (laughs) But anyway, so this like figure like all dressed in white. And, you know, we've already heard the Sexton's like diabolical aside. So we're all kind of clued in as to like what's happening. Like, is this dramatic irony? I think so. So the boy sees this like, what's supposed to look like an apparition. And he's like, who's there? Answer me or get out of here. You have no business up here at night. And the figure just stayed standing because obviously it was the sexton Uh and he was standing there motionless because he wanted to convince the young man that he was in fact a ghost and like freaking out. But the boy just like stared at the figure and was like, what are you doing here? Speak if you're an honest fellow or I'll throw you down the stairs. <laughs> and the sexton was like, he can't seriously mean that. Like in his head, the sexton was like, he's just trying to like pretend like he's all yeah. like brave or whatever. He's like but, bluffing out like, the ghost. Whatever. Exactly. So he doesn't make a word, doesn't move at all. He's just like, nope, I am a ghost. <laughs> so then this boy shouts at him for a third time, yelling out, Tell me who you are and what your business is, or I'm going to throw you down the (laughs) stairs. And again, the guy didn't say anything. So the boy, you know, like drops a shoulder and starts running right at the guy and like, bam, hits him. And the guy falls down 10 steps and then just lays frozen at the bottom of like the stairs, which... I know that that would upset you. And so I'm going to tell you just like ahead of time, we did not just witness a murder. 
So like it's all you could come back and scare him as Um, a real ghost next night. Yeah. I'm like, I know you're a really good person, Jeff. And so you get worried about people getting thrown down the stairs and like murdered. I think it's wonderful that you're a good person. (laughs) But yeah, this wasn't a murder. Glad the sexton's not dead yet. (laughs) So so after he knocks this guy down the steps and renders him unconscious, the boy turns around. He rings the bell and then he goes back to bed. (laughs) Well, so the sexton's wife who had, you know, seen her husband get out of bed. Time had passed. She heard the bell ring, but her husband never came back. Uh So she was lying there like, what happened to my husband? Like, where did he go? What's going on? So she goes over to the boy's room and she's like, do you know where my husband is? He climbed up the tower right before you did. (laughs) And the boy was like, no, I haven't seen him. There was someone that was standing up there on the other side of the steps, but he wouldn't tell me who he was and he wouldn't go away. So I assumed he was a thief and just threw him (laughs) down the stairs. And he's like, if you want to go look, he's where I left him. (laughs) Which I'm like, all right, bro. Just knocked out cold at the bottom of the steps. Yeah. And then I love this. He was like, I'm sorry if it was your husband. I love that he like, just like right at the end, like, I, I, I'm sorry if I did hurt your husband, but I don't think I did. Cause I like, there was just a dude up there who wasn't talking. I'm not liable for this. So it's a prank gone wrong guys. <laughs> so anyway, so the woman, she ran out and she found her husband who was like lying in the corner below the steps, just like moaning. And he had broken his leg. Oh. So the story says that she carried him down the stairs, which I'm like, Dude, good for you. This woman should yeah. be a firewoman. Like, just, I could not carry my husband anywhere. So <laughs> just, like, props to this lady yeah. for, like, handling her stuff. So she, like, got her husband situated, and then she ran over to the boy's father's house and was like, you better come get your son. Because... <laughs> He just caused a really great misfortune. He threw my husband down the stairs and broke his leg. He is good for nothing. And the father's like mortified. Yeah. Because obviously, because he thought that this guy was going to like help him out. But then his son like maims the guy. So he like goes to his son. He's like, what evil tricks are these? The devil must have prompted you to do them. Which I'm like. (laughs) Unfortunately, no. I would have loved the devil to pop up in this story because, as most people know, he is my favorite character. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime he pops up in anything, he is always, like, comedic gold. I love the devil. (laughs) Gonna make (laughs) t-shirts. Dude, now I do want to make t-shirts. And it's just, like, the devil wearing, like, a little dandy's cap or whatever. And it... (laughs) Oh regardless the devil's not in this story the devil's in the details but he is not in this story (laughs) so the son replies like father listen to me i'm completely innocent in this he was standing there in the night like someone with evil intentions i didn't know who it was and i warned him three times to speak or to go away which yeah yeah i yeah that is completely fair it reminds me of like you know those videos where people are playing pranks and they like pop out yeah. of somewhere hidden dressed up as something. 
Most of the time people scream and run away or they drop to the ground and scream. Yeah. But every once in a while they, they get punched in the straight face. in the yeah. face. Those are my favorites too. Cause I'm like, you get what you deserve on that one. Like pranksters. Yeah. Cause it is like every now and then you're going to run into somebody who their fight or flight is just 100% fight. fight. They're like, Oh, Bam. I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to punch you in the face and then we'll sort this out later. <laughs> And that's 100% what this guy did. But not he asked. He yeah. asked. It wasn't even like fight or flight. It was just like the logical thing. Like, you're not supposed to be here. You're not saying who you are. Yeah. Obviously, you're, you're like a no thief good. or something. Yeah. You're a creep. And I'm just going to get rid of you. But the father was just completely beside himself because he had thought that he had found like gainful employment. Yeah. He's like, finally a future for my son. And is like, well, he, (laughs) he broke the leg of the only person that could have given him any hope. Yeah. I mean, that is a good way to get a job though. If he had just (laughs) gone all the way, bro. (laughs) The position Um, is open. (laughs) Some job security right there. And he'd be like, I I was the only one that was trained. (laughs) So I guess I get the position. But that's not what happened. So (laughs) the father was like, I have experienced nothing but unhappiness with you. Get out of my sight. I don't want to look at you anymore. I don't want you as a son anymore. Which, oh oh my gosh, that's like absolutely horrible. And the son was like, yeah, I guess that makes sense, dad. (laughs) (laughs) Just wait until daylight and I will like, like grab my stuff and then I'll go forth. And learn how to shudder. And that will surely support me. <laughs> Which his dad was like, oh my gosh. Why are you still on about this? Like, why are you obsessing about this stupid thing? So the dad, he gave him, it says 50 talers, which is like the, like kind of, a, uh, not equivalent of $50, but talers are dollars. like yeah. So it gives him like money. Mm-hmm. And he says, take this and go into the world and tell nobody that you are my son because I'm so ashamed to know you. Oh, man. I'm like, that is so mean, especially since like the straw that broke the camel's back was absolutely not his fault. Yeah. I am. I'm firmly like, no, that Sexton, it was his fault. It was his fault. He was trying to prank this kid. And it just proved he was proving how good he would be at that job, because if there was like some weirdo creep that was hiding up there. Uh, that was probably up to no good. He would just take care of him and then move on with the, with his business, you know, like, yeah. Like if anybody like was messing around on the church or <laughs> like doing it, he would just be like, Nope. If some Scooby-Doo you, villain was trying to like do some sort of like really elaborate plot to like gain ownership over the land that the church was built on or something, dressing up yeah. as a ghost. No, no big deal. He would just like take care of himself. He wouldn't even have to call the mystery team or whatever. Yeah. He would just like do like a wig snatch and (laughs) be like, oh, (laughs) it's you. Get out of here. Like there would be no movie. There'd be no plot because this guy would just handle it. So, yeah, I'm like, this is so harsh. This kid, I'm sure he's screwed up a lot in his life and it's been like really frustrating. I get really frustrated when I read like Amelia Bedelia books. Mm. So I'm sure there's been stuff in the past where this father has been like just at the end of his rope and this just really upset him. So anyway, the son just says to his dad, yes, father, I will do as you wish. I won't tell anybody that I'm yours. 
And so then he set off to learn how to shudder. (laughs) So he was just walking along the main road during the day, just muttering to himself over and over, if only I could shudder, if only I could shudder, because he's like fully obsessed with this like concept that if he knew that, maybe he would like understand people and like under... Which totally, over and over again, it makes me feel like this kid has autism. And I just, I want to, like, hug him and help him in an appropriate way instead of what they're doing to handle the situation. But it's fine, because this story, again, was written in the 1800s. (laughs) Anyway, so a man came up and heard him muttering along the road. And he was like, do you... Are you saying that you wish you knew how to shudder? And the like young son paused and he like turned and looked at this guy and he was like, yeah, I, I want to know how to shudder. I know other people do. They'll be telling like spooky stories and they'll say, oh, I'm shuddering. I don't know what that means. I've never experienced that. And the guy was like, oh, well, I have a place I could take you that would make you <laughs> shudder, which like totally sounds creepy. Yeah, really um, creepy. Don't follow these people to secondary locations. (laughs) So, and I'm going to quote this like directly because it is like the best euphemism ever. So the man leads him over to these gallows and he says, look, there's the tree where seven men get married to the rope maker's daughter and are now learning to fly. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Which I'm like. That is quite the euphemism. Yeah. (laughs) But he says, if you sit down beneath these gallows and you wait until nightfall, you will surely learn how to shudder. And they don't kind of make it fully clear to me because it makes it sound like there were seven men that got hung, but they're not there anymore. But no, no, no. They're there. There are currently in this story... Seven dead men hanging from these gallows. Oh, man. So, yeah, this young man is, like, sitting down just, like, by these gallows, and there are literal, like, dead bodies hanging right behind him. So, again, this is, like, gallows humor. (laughs) This is Literally. So, the boy is sitting there waiting for nightfall, and he's, like, if there's nothing more than just, like, these bodies hanging there like i don't see how that's going to help me like i i don't see how this is going to like do anything to freak me out because it's just like the there's just seven guys but he's like whatever and he tells the man hey if this if this actually like teaches me how to shudder i will give you all the money that i currently like have on me if you come back tomorrow morning and the guy was like, oh, yeah, sure, definitely. Because he's like, this kid is going to freak <laughs> out and pee his pants so, because when it gets dark, his imagination's going to run wild. And he's, no, that's not what's going to happen. So the he's, boy is. He's like, easiest 50 dollars I ever earned. So the boy sits down and he waits until the evening. So he started to get a little cold, which I'm like, hey, if you want the shivers, that's. uh..." (laughs) But anyway, so it starts getting cold out. So he decides to make himself a fire. So he has, you know, somewhere comfortable to sit to spend the night. So around midnight, there was a cold wind blowing and, you know, he was having problems kind of like keeping warm. But he looked up as the wind was pushing against those hanged men and they were swinging 
on their ropes. And he thought to himself, man, if I'm freezing down here, I imagine those guys must be even worse. (laughs) So he felt a little pity for them and he got on the ladder and he untied them one by one and he set them up next to him uh, around the fire. Which this is actually a tale element that is called Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Are you serious? No. <laughs> oh man, I thought I thought I thought that could have been a real thing, you know, like <laughs> like it was a thing that happened and then they're like, oh, it's kind of like Weekend at Bernie's. So you know, we jokingly would refer to it as that, but you were just straight up making a joke. No, I was just straight up making a joke. But he like weakened at Bernie's those guys by sitting them all up like they're sitting around the fire. To, yeah, like to they're all up. like hang. Yeah, that like they're all like hanging out with him. From hanging to hanging out. <laughs> That's gallows humor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Woo! So weird. So no, and that's this isn't even the weirdest part. (laughs) Uh, Like, settle down. You're you're in for a treat later when it comes to dead bodies. Suddenly, your face was like, "What? No." (laughs) So he, you know, after he got his buddies set up around him, he was kind of stoking the fire, making sure that you know, like it kept up a good size to kind of keep them all warm. And they were all just sitting there not moving and embers got caught by the wind and started lighting their clothes on fire. <sighs> and so he's like, hey, help me put this out or I'll hang you up again. <laughs> and so he's like running around, like trying to get their clothes to like stop being on fire. And so he's just like going around like these bird, like bodies are like burning and crisping up. And he's like whacking and whacking, trying to get like the fire. And he's like, man, these guys like do something. Cause like, yeah, he was like, you guys are, are making my life more complicated than it needs to be, which I'm just like imagining somebody sitting around the fire telling this story. And this just being a hilarious element yeah. and everybody just super enjoying somebody miming, like be- beating. beating like the, the on fire dead bodies, <laughs> like trying to get the like embers out. I'm picturing this as like a movie starring like Chris Farley or like Jack Black or like Chris Farley, like a Tommy boy is like the same kind of like character, yeah. like clueless character. Oh man. So the dead men, however, said nothing and were of no help in putting out their clothes Rude. on account of being dead men. Because <laughs> um, they are not alive. That's how dead bodies uh, usually are. So he got super frustrated and he's like, if you guys aren't going to do anything to help yourselves, then I'm not going to help you. And so one by one, he hung them all back up in a row. Which <laughs> I'm like, I'm sure all that physical activity helped to keep him warm. So anyway, he sat down in front of his fire in frustration and then fell asleep. Which I'm just imagining the kind of person who is just like, well, it's bedtime. (laughs) Desecrated seven bodies. It's bedtime. (laughs) Better tuck in. (laughs) So anyway, the next morning, that man came back to see if that kid was actually still at the gallows. And he was shocked when he was there because he was expecting that he was going to have to like hunt him down in like the local inn or something that yeah. in the middle of the night he would have gotten freaked out, ran to somebody's house. 
But no, he found him laying, you know, by his like fire that had kind of gone out and he was just, you know, sleeping underneath these gallows, which also I wonder if he like looked up and saw that the bodies of those guys had gone through yeah. a bit of a change. Um, and he was like, what happened here? Uh, yikes. But he was like, so did you learn how to shudder? And the kid was like, no, where would I have learned that? Those guys up there didn't teach me anything. They didn't open their mouths all night. <laughs> They're so stupid that they let their clothes catch on fire. <laughs> it's like, wow, glass houses shouldn't be throwing them stones, buddy. So the man who, you know, kind of was hoping to get the like 50 like towers or whatever. He was just looking at this kid like, whoa. And he said, never before have I met such a fellow, which <laughs> kind of a huge understatement for like, oh, my goodness. You have worse problems than what's going on. I, like, than not knowing how to shudder. Yeah. Like, like, why were you handling all those dead bodies? Which, again, I'm like, he would have been great as a sexton if he ever had to, like, be a great. Yeah. Baby. It wouldn't have. It, he wouldn't have been freaked out doing that job. No. It would have been a great job for him. I think he could have led a very happy life with that job. So the boy, hugely disappointed because he thought that that guy was somehow going to help him with his problem he's bummed out and he's walking along and he's like oh, if only i could shudder if only i could shudder and soon enough on his walk you know this cart driver passes by him and he hears him talking and he's like who are you and the kid's like i don't know and i'm not allowed to say and he's like what where do you come from like who's your father and the kid's like i am not permitted to tell anybody that i promised i would never tell anybody that and the cart driver is like, okay, weirdo. <laughs> and he's like, then what are you muttering to yourself? And he's like, oh, it's just, I really wish that I was able to shudder, but nobody is teaching me how. And the cart driver is like, okay, that's some foolishness. <laughs> Come and walk along with me and I'll show you a place where you will shudder. So he leads this kid to an inn. And the boy's like, am I going to learn how to shudder here? And the car driver's like, no, let me introduce you to some people. And he's like, oh, okay. So they get into the inn and the innkeeper is like, oh, hey, what's going on to the cart driver? And the cart driver's like, here, I've got a kid for you who is saying that he wants to learn how to shudder. And I think we all know where that hookup is. And the innkeeper like kind of stops laughing <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah, there might be a good opportunity for you here, but I don't think that you really want to do this. And the innkeeper's wife comes over and she was like, what are you doing with this poor boy? And they're like, he's saying he wants to learn how to shudder. And she's like, okay, I think we've lost enough people already, though. Like, we don't need to be bringing this young kid, like, into this situation. So... Like, just let him go. Like, let him leave. And the boy's like, no, 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 no. I want to learn how to shudder. Like, I understand, like, it might be, like, difficult or, like, you know, uh, but I might have some problems with it. But, like, I think, like, I think this is where I need to be. I think this is something that, like, would help me out. And they're like, 
No, it's really not. Like, this isn't, and the cart driver's like, no, guys, like, come on. Like, if he wants to do it, and the innkeeper's like, I mean, I guess if he wants to, and the wife is like, okay, if no one's going to listen to me, then I will um, just be away from you guys because I don't want to be part of, like, this situation, which I'm like, now I'm intrigued. Yeah, lady. me too. Like, 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 what is this situation? So the innkeeper is like, okay, here's the deal. There is this haunted castle that is not so far away from here. And the king's family used to be able to live there until it got possessed or haunted or like whatever. They don't yeah. really super get into it. I like to imagine that like some princesses were having a slumber party and they pulled out the Ouija board and <laughs> accidentally summoned a bunch of demons. We all know how girl sleepovers be. Do you know how girl sleepovers are? I love it when I see those memes that are like boy sleepovers are them like like showing each other their butts and like playing video games and just uh. like f farting under the sheets and then throwing the blanket like over the friends. <laughs> They're like, that's what we did. And then the the meme is always like like girl slumber party and like the girls are like doing like occult magic. <laughs> And I'm like, that's exactly what, like, my experience with, like, girl slumber parties was, was that we were like, oh, it's time to get into the occult. <laughs> Where we're just like, it's either, like, light as a feather, stiff as a board, light as a feather, stiff as a board. Or we're oh. trying to, like, go into a bathroom and, like, say, like, Bloody, Bloody Mary. Mary to, like, get some demon to pop out of nowhere to attack us. Or we're like, oh, maybe, like, a Ouija board situation is, like, what we want to get into. Yeah, that was like my experience with like girls slumber parties. Wow, interesting. And so my experience with boys slumber parties really was just farts and video games. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> Which I'm like that. Now that's a fascinating phenomenon I think like is worth studying. Like why are girls like, "Oh, we're all alone as a group. It's time to do like it's time to summon demons, ladies." So yeah, I like to imagine that that's what happened to this castle. They don't go into the backstory of it, so I make it my own backstory. It's fine. I'm allowed. It's canon now. I've decided. It's canon now. If only head canon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, the king had promised that whoever dared to go inside and stay inside for three nights, it would somehow break that curse where it would... They said inside the castle there were treasures that once the evil spirits had been vanquished, the treasures would be freed, the castle would be habitable again. And so the king had promised that whoever could break this spell would get to marry his daughter, who, of course, was the most beautiful maiden under the sun. Women are property <laughs> and you can trade people things for them. So apparently lots of people had entered the castle and tried, but whoever hadn't run screaming out of the house had died inside of the house, oh, either of fright or mangulation by evil spirits. <laughs> so the boy was like, dude, yeah, that sounds like it's definitely my speed. And the innkeeper and like the cart driver kind of looked at each other like, oh no, what have we gotten this poor kid into? But the next day, they take him to meet the king. And he said, if I am allowed, I would like to keep watch three nights in that haunted castle. And the king was like, 
if you're doing this just for the riches, like, I don't think it's worth it, kid. If you're doing it to marry my daughter, I don't know if it's worth it, kid. And he's like, no, I'm doing it for myself. I want to learn how to shudder. This is like, no, like, this is a personal voyage. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing it for me. <laughs> so the king was kind of like, pleased by the gumption, I guess, of this kid. And he was like, all right, I'll let you take three things into the castle with you, but they can't be living things. And the boy was like, okay, that's a weird rule, but fine. I would like to take a fire, a lathe, and a wood carver's bench with a knife. Which I'm like, yeah, those those are good tools. <laughs> like, I what don't... is he planning to do while he's in there? Yeah, I was like, I don't. They they seem like so specific yeah. that I I'm like I'm like, did he pick those strategically or did he just like <laughs> look around the name? room and see what was in there? <laughs> I'm gonna take a uh, uh, fire, lathe, and uh... so say. <laughs> um, so. The king had all of those things carried and delivered to the castle. And when night was approaching, the boy went inside. He lit himself a fire in one of the rooms and he placed the woodcarver's bench in front of the fire and he sat down to relax in front of the fire. So, night one. Ding, ding, ding. So he's. <laughs> so he's sitting in front of the fire and he's just thinking his same repetitive thought of like, I wish I could shudder. Like, I wish I could figure this out, but I don't think that I'm going to learn it here either. Oh man. He'd finally given up hope on his dream. Yeah. He, he was like, you know what? If, if I can't learn how to shudder here, I'm never going to learn how to shudder. <laughs> so towards midnight, he got up and he kind of started like, you know, picking at the fire, poking at it, blowing into it. So he could kind of, you know, keep it going. And then he heard, a sound from the corner of the room. And it was this like tiny little meow. And he was like, what? What was that? So he's looking around, hearing these like little, little tiny mews from little kitties. (laughs) And he kind of looks into the corner and inside the shadow of the corners comes these two huge black cats. mewing their tiny little mews (laughs) and the cats start saying oh we're so cold we're so cold and he was like well if you're so cold get over to the fire so they're like prowling like closer and closer i'm like in the room so they get over to the fire and they kind of curl up next to the fire and then they look at him and then they say Comrade, shall we play a game of cards? And he was like, yeah, why not? But first, show me your paws. So they kind of like held out their claws to him and he seized them by the neck, put them on the wood carver's bench and then tightened the vice on their feet. And he's like, having looked at your fingers, I've lost my desire to play cards. And then he struck them on the head dead and threw them out into the lake on the side of the castle. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Surprise violence to cats. Yeah. Woo. And it seems like 
we knew that they were probably very menacing, but it doesn't seem like <laughs> he had much reason to suspect that they were a danger to him. I just like what I've noticed with him is that he will see something that like could potentially be dangerous. And instead of having like a fear reflex that like clouds his yeah. mind or his judgment or whatever, he just like looks at something and is like, I've a- here's a problem to be solved. Yeah, he's like, ah. Now I've assessed the danger and here's how I'm going to like get through it. Like, it's just very yeah. like, just like task oriented where he's like, Oh, here's a problem. This is how I'm going to take care of it. All right. I did it. It like, he doesn't get stopped or held up by like the emotion of fear. Yeah. Which I think is like one of the points of like this story. And so <laughs> it is interesting that it's like, he saw the cats and we're like, wow, those are really massive cats. They're like creeping around. And I've heard scary things about this castle. Yeah. People being mutilated. Yeah, and he's like, okay, I'm assuming these guys are up to no good. So he just grabs them and takes care of them quickly. So after he gets rid of the cats, he sits down uh, in front of his fire to relax. But then out of every side and every corner, there crept more black cats and black dogs connected to red hot chains. Oh, man. Which I'm assuming is supposed to be some kind of like like hellish demonic reference. Yeah. Cause they're like, Oh, chains and like, ah. so they started to like all come out and he's just sitting there like watching them as they're all just like snarling and spitting and going like all over the room, just being like creeps. Yeah. So he's just like sitting watching them and he's just like, picks up his like carving knife <laughs> and he's like away with you, you villains. And then just starts like hacking <laughs> At them until, like, they all run away or jump out, like, into the pond. Oh, my gosh. So when he gets back, he, like, makes sure the fire is going again and getting, like, nice and warm. And so he's sitting there and his eyes are starting to get droopy. He's starting to get tired, you know, from all that, like, cat and dog murdering. Um... (laughs) So he's about to like fall asleep and he kind of looks around and he sees in the corner of the room that he's in, there's this like large bed and he's like, Oh, that looks perfect. (laughs) Exactly what I need. So he goes and he lays down in it. But the second that his eyes start to close, the bed starts to move. It's like, jumping up and down and then it starts like galloping like through the house which (laughs) that visual image is so delightful to me just like imagining this like bed like galloping through the house so he's like just sitting on the bed experiencing this like just like just taking it all in as it's like going weird so he starts like cheering on the bed. He's like, yes, <laughs> let's go, go faster, go faster. So this bed is like like running him up and down the stairs, like going all over and like around the castle. And he's just here for it. He's like, yes, yes, <laughs> it's a free ride. And so then as he's like going like really quickly, it's going really fast, like down the stairs. And it hits the bottom rung and it flips over and the bed like lands on top of him. So he just like throws everything kind of off of him. Yeah. And he's like, all right, somebody else can take a turn. (laughs) Which I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy is so sassy. His like the exact quote is, now anyone who wants to may have a drive. (laughs) 
It's nice so, for him yeah. to share, you know, he's not yeah, hogging the ride was, all for himself. Yeah, I love that he was like enjoying it up until he like wasn't when he like it fell down. He was like, you know what? Now I'm not having fun anymore. <laughs> Someone else can. Somebody else can do this. So he decided to just lay down by his fire and sleep next to his fire until the next morning. So the next morning, the king comes and he walks into the room and he sees this boy outstretched in front of the fire. And he's like, it is indeed a pity to lose such a young and handsome man. <laughs> and the boy hears this and he sits up and he's like, what are you talking about? And the guy's like, ah. <laughs> you think I'm handsome? You think I'm handsome? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, the boy like sits up and he's like, oh, okay, well, it hasn't come to that yet, all right? And the king is just like, whoa, what happened? And he's like, no, like, it was fine. I, you know, there was like a couple things that I saw in here, but like, it, you know, it really wasn't that bad. And I, I, I didn't shudder. And the guy's like, well, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Uh, like, I don't know what to tell you. And so the kid's like, well, okay, I'm going to go to the inn. I need to lay down and rest. Cause like, it was kind of like a long night. And the guy, the King's like, um, okay, buddy. So he gets to the inn and the innkeeper's like, oh my goodness. I never thought that we would see you again. And the kid's like, why? <laughs> they're like, you know, cause of the haunted castle. He's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's fine. And they're like, did you learn how to shudder? And he's like, unfortunately, no, no, I did not. And they're like, all just like, we've never seen anybody <laughs> one spend the whole night and not end up dead. Yeah. I don't know why I said one. I had no extra points. <laughs> but yeah, they were like, we have never seen anybody stay there even one night and live. Run out of it screaming in the middle of the night, yes. <laughs> but leave in the morning alive, no. So the next night, night two. Ding, ding. So he goes up to Old Castle and he, you know, starts up his fire and is just sitting in front of it again with his same old sad mantra of, if only I could shudder. So at midnight, he starts to hear a noise and a commotion. And at first, like, it was coming from, like, above and it was, like, really soft. But then it got louder and louder near the fire. And then there was this, like, ah! And half of a man landed on the fire and, like, put the fire out. So... Important clip point of clarification. (laughs) Half of a man cut horizontally or vertically? It doesn't (laughs) say, but in my mind, I had pictured it horizontally. So I had imagined... the bottom half? I imagined that it was the top half since it said there was, like, a loud scream. Yeah. But I guess if it was chopped vertically... Either half falling through could <laughs> scream in theory, because not think, really. I think you're right. It's probably just the top half, because if it was cut top like half. vertically. Then, he like, technically the wind... couldn't scream that way either. Yeah. yeah. Because of how windpipes works <laughs> and larynx and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm glad that we were like, point of clarification. So it like poof, lands on the fire and the boy like looks up and he was like, this is not enough person. There should be another half here. 
which I'm like, excellent problem solving <laughs> skills. <laughs> and they said he wasn't smart. And they said he wasn't smart. <laughs> so then he hears another noise starting and boom, 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 kablam. <laughs> and he's like, what in the world? So he gets up and he gets the pieces of person off of the fire, like the two like pieces. Uh-huh. And he starts like working at trying to like get the fire going. So finally, when he gets it like fully going, he like turns around and the body has like gone together and become like one person but he's sitting on the the kid's like bench his like Uh workbench and he was like oh no 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 that is my bench and (laughs) which i love that he's like uh no i call seatbacks he doesn't care that these two halves like merge themselves back together or that they fell down through the ceiling onto the fire. It's like he just yeah. cares that they're sitting in his spot. Yeah. When they were two chunks of person, he was like, this is not an immediate threat. Shoves it away. <laughs> lights the fire. But then he turns back. He's like, dude, this guy took my seat. Like, that's cheap. So he, like, goes over and gets in, like, a wrestling match with this, like, person. <laughs> and finally is able to, like, shove him off of his bench. So he sits down on the bench. He's like, no, I'm not getting up now because like you people are like just stealing my seat. Like when I get up and so more men started like falling through the fireplace. But this guy's like, no, 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 no. I'm not getting up because apparently you guys follow the move your feet, lose your seat thing. And I'm not losing my seat again. Yeah, seriously. He's like, no, 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 (laughs) not fair. So. After several pieces of men. It's fall- raining men. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's raining men. Amen. Amen. So. All these bodies like reassembled and they all pulled out the stuff that they had carried in the from the chimney through the fire with them. And between them, they had nine bones from dead men and then two skulls. And they started to set up a bowling game, which (laughs) when I read this, I was like, wait, bowling. How long has bowling been a thing? Jeff, guess how long bowling has been a thing? Um, Well, it's got so 18, like 30s, at least. Uh, 200 and... 43 years. No. Uh, so archaeologists suspect <laughs> that it's been around for 5,000 years. Oh, my gosh. Which, yeah, I was like, oh, because I was like, bowling, that seems anachronistic, like when I read it. And yeah. so I wanted to look it up. And uh, no, archaeologists, have, they think that they have found bowling sets inside the graves of children. I don't know if people know this, but the toys, when toys are discovered in archaeological digs, normally where they find them are inside of children's graves. Mm-hmm. They'll find children buried with like little carvings of um, animals yeah. or even like rocking horses, even like toy, like pull toys that have little wheels on them. Yeah. And so they know that like toys and children playing with toys has been like, you know. A thing. Thousands and thousands of years. 
But yeah, the place where they normally find toys is inside of like the graves of children because people are like they bury their children with the thing that they loved the most, which I think is adorable and also yeah. like sad. Very sad. It's like very human. Yeah. Um, relatable. Yeah, it's it's super relatable. And so it's like, oh, sad. But yeah, they archaeologists have found what they think are um, like bowling sets dating back to 3200 BCE. Oh, my gosh. Which I'm like, whoa. Insane. So bowling has been a thing for a while. So while I thought that this sounded anachronistic, I was nowhere near correct. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, yeah, bowling alleys aren't as old as that. Um, the but automatic like the concept, pin setter, you know, that's got to be yeah, pretty yeah. recent invention. Yeah. But the idea of like throwing balls to, and like hitting things and knocking them down. Very, very old concept. So anyway, the boy saw that they were like about to start bowling and he was like, can I bowl with you? And these dismembered men who magically put their bodies back together were like, yeah, sure. You can play if you've got money, which I'm like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And he was like, yeah, I've got money with me. And they're like, cool, then you can play with us. And he was like, oh, but I don't like your bowling balls. They're not round. So he grabbed the skulls, he put them on the lathe, and he started turning the lathe and smoothing them down (laughs) until they were more round balls. So he played with them, like, the whole night. He lost some money, like, not too much. He didn't lose, like, all his money. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. That's what happens. So, yeah, lost a bit of money. And when the clock struck midnight... The guys just disappeared, and so did their bowling stuff. And so he's like, oh, all right, guess we're done. So he just laid down by the fire and went to sleep. So the next morning, the king came, and he was like, well, how did it go this time? And the kid was like, oh, we just went bowling, um, and I lost, like, some of my money. But, like, it's fine. I'm no worse for wear. I'm, like, down a couple dollars. But, like, it's it's fine. Like, I'll live through this. Um, (laughs) my finances took a hit, but like, you know, what can you do? The king was like, did you shudder? And he was like, how would I have shuddered? I was just playing like bowling all night. Does, do people (laughs) shudder when they bowl? Is that like a thing? And the king was like, well, this kid, I don't even know like what to do with this guy. So the king's like, I'm just going to leave you to it. So night three. Ding, ding. So this is the third and the final night, the most important night. So he sits down again at his bench and is muttering to himself once again, if only I could shudder. And Jeff, the story I'm about to tell you, you might shudder a little bit. It's about to get weird. Just like, by the way, like this is your warning. In a story we've already had dead bodies being taken down from the gallows and caught on fire. And someone this bowling is... with human bones after lathing a skull into a more <laughs> rollable shape. Now you tell me it's going to get weird. Yeah, like it's going to get weird. And it's <laughs> it's going like you're gonna like you're gonna feel deeply uncomfortable. I think anybody who's listening is gonna feel deeply uncomfortable. All right, I'm ready. And if you don't feel deeply uncomfortable, mm, maybe you also need to learn how to shudder. Uh, like, <laughs> So, okay, first of all, this next mental image I'm about to say, all I can do is think of the meme. And so you guys are all probably going to, it's like a gif, and you're all going to think of the same gif when I say this. 
So he's sitting by the fire and all of a sudden he hears like some movement behind him. So he turns around and there's six large men carrying a coffin with them. <laughs> it's just these guys like jamming with the like coffin <laughs> on their shoulders. That's like all that's all I can picture when I see this. But <laughs> that's probably not what happened. So these three like super huge men like walk in carrying this uh like coffin. And the the kid jumps up and he's like, oh, for certain, this is my little cousin who died a few days ago. Come here, little cousin. And I'm like, I don't understand why, how he would have known his cousin had died a couple days ago. Yeah. Or we, this is the first we're hearing about it. Yeah. So I don't <laughs> quite understand like this reference. But either way, he went over to the coffin and... The big, like, six men, like, put it down on the ground. And so he, like, lifts the lid off of it. And there's a dead man lying inside. So the young man, he, like, puts his hand on, like, the face of the dead body. And he was like, oh, my goodness, you're as cold as ice. Wait, I'll warm you up a little. And in my head, I was like, oh, it doesn't warm up the same way he warmed (laughs) up those guys in the gallows. And then I'm like, dude, you're going to wish he warmed him up the same way. Um, <laughs> I keep saying stuff and Jeff's like getting more and more worried. <laughs> so he's like, I'll warm you up a little. So he went over to the fire and he like kind of warmed up his hands. And then he went back over to the corpse and he put them on the corpse's face. But the dead man remained cold. So he pulled him out of the casket and he sat him down by the fire and he started to like rub the guy's arms and his legs just trying to get like circulation going like in this like corpse's body. So he's just like got him set up by like the fire and he's just like rubbing like all up and down like his body. So that wasn't helping. That wasn't doing anything. So he thought to himself, when two people lie in bed together, they keep each other warm. Oh, no. So he picked up the dead man and he carried him over to the bed. And then he climbed into the bed with the dead man and he put like the blankets over them and started to warm up the dead man's body. Gosh. <laughs> if we should all feel deeply uncomfortable now. And so he says, see, little cousin, I got you all warm, didn't I? And the dead man sat up straight and was like, I'm going to strangle you. Oh my Which gosh. honestly, I'm like 100%. I feel like that dead person had the right idea. Because <laughs> that is so creepy. Like, I, I'm like... They don't make it clear whether he is related to this person or not, yeah. but 100% him pulling that corpse into the bed with him and being like, I'll warm you up. I'm like, I don't like how this story is going. I don't also, like this. It's also funny, too, because we have no indication until this point that the corpse, like, responded to anything. So I'm just picturing, like, again, Weekend at Bernie style, like, the body just, like, limply hanging there. And like going along with all of this until he drags him into bed. And that's when the body's like, all right, I've had enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's like, nope, inappropriate. Um, (laughs) So it is like that body was just like not having any of it. Like this corpse was like, no, no. So yeah, he sits up and is like, I'm going to strangle you. And the boy is like, what? Is this the thanks I get? Get back into your coffin. So he like lifts up the body and throws him into the coffin and slams it shut. And then the six men 
carry it away. <laughs> and I'm like, um, I feel deeply uncomfortable with what just happened. So he sits back down in front of the fire, like all grumpy. And he's like, Ugh, I can't shudder. I won't learn how here as long as I live. Which I'm like, wow, that's such a weird thing to be pouting about when you like literally made a dead body come back to life because it wanted to tell you how creepy you were. Uh. <laughs> so as he's sitting there, this big, like giant old man like comes in. And so he's got this long white beard that's trailing on the floor and he's bigger than any of the other people that have like come into like the room. And so he's just this like looming, large, frightful, like specter with this like ultra long beard. And he shouts out, you wretch, you shall soon learn what it is to shudder for you are about to die. <laughs> the boy turns around. And he's like, hey, not so fast. If I'm going to die, I'm going to have some say in the matter, which I was like, wow, that kid's sassy. And this like monster old man, like thing death specter whatever it is was like i've got you in my castle and you will never leave and the kid was like okay like don't boast i'm pretty strong and i'm probably stronger than you and the old man was like what like what are you talking about bro <laughs> so the old man's like we shall soon see who's strong and he's like come with me and i'll put you to the test and so the kid's like, okay, whatever. So he's like following behind this like old supernatural man who I guess got insulted because some little boy was like, I bet I'm stronger than you. <laughs> so he leads him down through dark passageways till they get to a blacksmith's forge that's inside of the castle. And the old man, he lifted up this mighty hammer and he slammed it down, and in one blow, he drove an anvil straight into the ground. Oh, wow. Which, I don't know if you people know what anvils are shaped like, but they're not aerodynamic. Yeah. They're like, they're not, anvils are not shaped like a wedge. You know, they're not meant, they're not like nails that like if you hit them, Can be they easily in. go down. Yeah. It's like a flat bottomed thing that you'd have to like just push with so much force to go down through. Yeah, like the whole purpose of an anvil is that you can beat things on it and the anvil will be fine. But yeah. Uh, that's like the whole point of like an anvil. And so the boy like looks over and he's like, I can do better than that. So he walks over to another anvil and the old man comes closer to stand nearby and his long beard was hanging down. And so the boy like seized an axe and it says he sent it down in one blow, splitting the anvil, but also wedging the man's beard oh, inside wow. the crack. So now this like old man's like stuck. <laughs> and Which man, like incredibly strong for him to like cut open an anvil. An anvil, yeah. I'm like, dude, one, crazy strong. Two, I want to know, like, was that dumb luck? Yeah. Or did he like think that plan through because of like the same thing that we talked about before where it's like, no, no, because he doesn't have fear inhibiting him. He's able to like. Yeah, he's just like, oh, there's his beard laying stuff. there. I'm going to get it trapped in here to give myself a strategic advantage going forward. Yeah. 
So the boy said, now I have you. Now it's your turn to die. So he grabbed an iron bar and started like beating this old man, (laughs) making this old man just like beg him to like stop and promising that he would give him all the riches that the old man like possessed. So the kid was like, all right, that sounds good. So he pulls out the axe, releasing the old man. And the old man like leads him around the castle and he leads him into the cellar that has these large, these three large chests full of gold. And the old man says, these are the three chests that I have. One is for you to give to the poor. The second is for you to give to the king. And the third one is yours. Which I'm like, well, that's beautiful that one of the chest is for the poor. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this creepy old man was like, I'm an evil supernatural <laughs> spirit, but this money goes to the poor. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So the clock struck midnight and the apparition disappeared, leaving the boy standing in the dark. And he was like, all right, better find my way out. So he goes upstairs, found a bedroom, and then fell asleep. So the next morning, the king came, and he's like, by now you must have surely learned how to shudder. And the boy goes, no, what is it? My dead cousin was here, which I don't know if it was his cousin. That was creepy. (laughs) And a bearded man came. I like that he also didn't tell the king what he did with his dead cousin. Oh, my goodness. He's like, hmm, going to keep that one a little secret. <laughs> Can't marry somebody's daughter if they think you're a creep, pervert. Um, he's like, my dead cousin was here. And then an old bearded man came and he showed me this like large amount of money that there's like under the castle. But nobody in the three nights that I've been here has shown me how to shudder. And the king was like, you have redeemed the castle. You are amazing. You shall marry my daughter. And the kid was like, that's not what I wanted. Like at all. I like don't understand. What a bummer of a consolation prize that is. (laughs) Like, oh, super. I get your daughter. Maybe he would like her better if she was dead. Creepy. Um, So he's like, well, I guess that's okay. So they brought out the gold and there's a big wedding celebration. And this kid, as much as he loved his wife, he still kept muttering to himself, if only I could shudder, if only I could shudder, which drove his wife crazy. Because she was like, oh my gosh. Somebody needs to shut this guy up. This is like super frustrating. I didn't sign on to be this prize. I definitely didn't want to end up with this guy who's got this like weird obsession. So she was complaining to her chambermaid and her chambermaid was like, I know exactly what we can do to make him shudder. So the chambermaid was like, get your husband to sleep naked tonight. (laughs) And we will teach him how to shudder, which I'm like, where is this going, ladies? I'm concerned. So he's fast asleep in the middle of the night and the chambermaid comes into the room with this like bucket. 
And the wife rips the covers off of him and the chambermaid dumps this bucket of cold water full of minnows onto him and they're wriggling all over his body. Uh And he's like, oh my gosh, they're touching me. And then he's like, what was that wife? And she was like, it was minnows. And he was like, Oh, I do love you for you have taught me how to shudder. (laughs) (laughs) Which to this very day is why when you watch Fear Factor, they cover people in tiny critters. Yeah, that's so (laughs) funny. And that's the end? That is the end of the story. That's hilarious. His wife being like, oh, let's sort this (laughs) out. And just... Covers him with minnows, which I'm like, yes. Okay. One thing that I like about, at first that ending seems like it's like, that seems like kind of like a weird letdown or something. Because you want him to be like scared so bad by creepy, by like the supernatural forces. Yeah. And he's just not. But these women are like, okay, do you know what people definitely don't like? When a bunch of tiny little creatures are crawling all over your body. Yeah. Like, no matter whether you understand fear or not, because that's not about fear. That's just like that sensation yeah. is like, Ugh. Yeah. like, what is that? Because I know, like, even if I walk through a, like, uh, cobweb. Yeah. I'm not necessarily, I'm not like afraid. It's just like, ew, 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 get it off. Like, it, the yeah. feeling of it is horrible. Yeah, totally. And so I just, I love that these ladies are like, no, nah, we can solve the problem. And they do. By pulling an epic prank on this <laughs> You know what I thought and I really wanted was like, part of like the, the punchline I thought was going to be, he gets married or he's going to get married and they're like, oh, like, who are you? So that we can like tell everyone who you are and part. It's like, you know, he's like, you've redeemed the kingdom. You're a hero to us all. Who are you so that we can like pronounce? She's like, well, I can't tell you who my dad is because I promised because he's ashamed of me. You know, to be like this thing that would bring honor to his dad. He's like, nope, I can't because I made a promise. I wouldn't tell anyone that I was his son anymore. Yep. And he's like, and I'm going to stick by my promise. Yeah, It's like I wanted the jerk dad to get the comeuppance there at the end, too. Yeah. And then you like just see like the dad and the son are like, oh, man. But, I mean, let's talk about that for a second. Because I kind of mentioned at the beginning that, like, what's so interesting to me is we're finally talking about, like, a story where it's, like, two brothers. You have a smart brother and a foolish brother. Yeah. And it almost seems like it's going to kind of, like, line up with what we've talked about in the past with, like, the good sister, bad sister, Uh um, like, situation. Except that, like, the bad sister bad things happen to her because of like her personality. But in this one, like the foolish brother, he gets to marry up. Everything goes really well for him. So let's talk about sexism for a minute. But here's the other thing too, is like, he's also not like a bad person. Like the older brother who's like (laughs) smarter and more capable is like kind of a jerk to the brother. The dad's a jerk to the brother and the, and the brother's just like, existing in the way that he knows how and he's just different you know so it's like it's not like he's bad and like i don't he does some like very weird and disturbing things (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> obviously, but from a good place. Like he's trying to like, these guys are cold. I'm going to cut them down and put them around the fire to like warm them up. Oh, this, like, again, I don't know if he, he clearly doesn't understand how death works because yeah. he didn't understand those ga- people hanging at the gallows were dead. His cousin yeah. who died, who he appeared to know, like he knew that the cousin had died, but he's like, yeah. oh, you're so cold. Let me warm you up. You know? Yeah. He's like, oh, if I warm you up, maybe you'll feel a bit better. Like maybe you'll and- get over this dive that you have done, <laughs> <laughs> which apparently it worked. So he should yeah. be congratulated, you know? So it's like. Because he, he creeped that dead body out so much that it was like, oh my gosh, get away from me. But, but to your point, like in the ones that focus on like, you know, a princess or like a young woman or whatever, like she has to be everything good, beautiful, smart, kind. All this stuff. And it's like the only thing he does have going for him is he's probably like kind of kind and he's like fearless. But then there's these other things that are seen as like negative traits. Like he's pretty useless. He is not intelligent. You know, he's annoying because he's got this fixation on something that is kind of, you know, silly. And yet, even as flawed as he is, he is like very rewarded. Because of how flawed he is, honestly. It's like what allowed him to to reach that level. Like usually when people are listening to a story, something that like makes it enjoyable for them is if they can relate in some way to the protagonist. Yeah. And so I'm like, maybe the people who are telling this story were like, hey, I'm kind of an everyman. I'm not super smart. I'm not super, you know, in the same way that like Jack tales seem to appeal to like male listeners Yeah, because they're like, oh, you're just like me. Like sometimes you mess up, like you don't know necessarily all the answers, but like through your pluckiness, you're able to Uh like overcome. And this reminds me of that too, where it's like, maybe, you know, some of the guys are listening, like who are telling this story or listening to it are also kind of like, hey, aren't we all a little dumb sometimes? (laughs) Or maybe they wish that they were more fearless. I don't know. It doesn't even seem like there's supposed to be a lesson. And it's like in folktales and stuff, there's not always supposed to be. But you kind of are like, what am I supposed to learn from this? To me, in this one, it just seems like a really silly, goofy story. And can you learn things from it? Yeah, but it's like it's mostly just funny Yeah, that this guy is like bungling his way through through life to the top you know yeah and it is like because like this is supposed to be like a ghost story it's supposed to be creepy like you're supposed to be freaked out yeah by all the stuff so you're saying to yourself like oh my gosh if If i was there i would definitely leave or like ooh, oh my gosh because like if i imagine myself laying down under gallows and there are like seven dead bodies like blowing in the wind yeah. like above me that is super creepy yeah even though logically like when i'm telling the story i understand that like barring some weird supernatural thing happening just in the realm of the story like yeah. they're just they're just bodies i mean because that's what makes that moment like funny when they're all catching on fire and he's acting like it's their fault yeah is that we know intellectually that those are dead bodies and they, it's, they're they not at fault because they're inanimate objects at this point. Yeah, it's like this story... In, in their life cycle. Yeah, it relies on the fact that we don't identify with the character. The, the fact yeah. that the character acts the exact opposite of how we would react in most of these situations 
is like the point of the story and it's relying on that fact to for the humor and for the you know kind of like the shock value even yeah and so yeah it's like well this story kind of sets itself up in the same way that like there are these like two completely different siblings and so it sets up almost like it is going to be something like good sister, bad sister, and like teach you like, oh, the good qualities to have in a son or whatever. It's like, nope, that's not the point of this story. The point of this story is like to, yeah, set these two brothers against each other, but to show that like the one weakness that they mentioned the older brother having, which was ha- being fearful. Yeah. Actually ends up like not really helping him yeah because like he might be good at everything else but because he's fearful he just stays a farmer's son and i mean presumably has like a happy life you know just like being a bro in the village right but he doesn't marry a princess and get a big chest of gold and you know yeah because he has that one flaw of like nope he's afraid but because this guy is incapable of feeling fear yeah He's able to like get a big chest of money. So at what point is fear good? And at what point is fear bad? Yeah. It's like the point of fear is to keep you alive. The whole thing of like fight or flight. There's a predator. It's going to attack you. You need to either fight it or get as far away from it as you can. So it doesn't kill you. But especially in our like modern day, we're f- afraid of so much stuff that isn't life or death. You know what I mean? So it's like, I feel like yeah. a lot of us could do with being a little less afraid, but it's it's like wired into our brain. We see things as these life or death threats that actually aren't. But I think of too, I was thinking the whole time hearing these stories about people who have certain like this certain disorder where they don't feel pain. I feel like it's kind of the same thing. Like it's necessary and important for you to feel pain. Yes. It's not a fun experience, but it helps keep you alive because if you're leaning your hand onto a hot stove, it tells you to pull it away before it causes extreme damage to that hand that could then get infected and all sorts of bad things happen. You know, like, Oh, you feel a pain inside of your body and it, tells you to go to the doctor and figure out what's wrong. Like if you can't feel pain, it's it's actually really dangerous for you. It's important. And it's like fear is supposed to be kind of the same thing. And actually I remember hearing a story about a woman that was like the same thing. She actually couldn't feel, she had a brain injury or something. I can't remember what happened, but she couldn't feel fear. And she'd been like robbed at knife point and like was not afraid of what had happened. But she, because she wasn't afraid, she didn't like try to run away or anything like that. And it could have ended very badly for her but yeah it's just like it is so weird like what is that what is that line and in the story he didn't have that problem like all the things that were going to threaten his literal life even though he wasn't afraid he was able to kind of like logically work his way through it and be like oh i've got to take care of this issue like kind of like dispassionately and emotionlessly yeah he does like the things inside of the story are things that because he doesn't feel fear he is able to stay alive because he can just like kind of just think about it methodically of yeah. like, okay, this is what I need to do instead of like panicking or like 
any of that. But I mean, some people, adrenaline is what helps them think sharper and yeah. like an emergency situation. But yeah, the things that he encounters in this don't kill him. But there are things that like, because I imagine it would have been hard to keep like a kid like this alive yeah. for this long because he lacks that fear. Yeah. Like if you're because not afraid is, of heights, you like walk yeah. on the very edge of a really high cliff or something or. Yeah. Because like men are more likely to die younger than women because they are more likely to take the risks. Uh-huh that are fueled by testosterone and not fully formed prefrontal cortexes or yeah. frontal like cortexes of their brain. Um, so it's like men before the age of 25 are more likely to just like make bad, like physical decisions for themselves, like without thinking about the consequences. And so with this kid who absolutely is like, Oh Yeah. I can walk around like after dark. That's no like worries. And it's like, well, but okay, you might be not afraid to walk around at night, but neither are cougars. Yeah. So it's like, it's great that you're not scared, but uh, that doesn't mean that there's no danger. And so it is kind of like, yeah, in the story, there wasn't anything like him not being afraid helped him in the story. Right. But that's not necessarily true. In real life. In real life. That's kind of what I thought but too I, is like, it was his, like, be, not being afraid was his superpower. They didn't realistically show, like, the pros and the cons. Like, not being afraid was only a good thing in this story. Where I think that there were yeah. situations, like, with the cats or whatever, where he probably, not being afraid, would have actually... You know, like he, I feel like, again, I pointed it out while you are reading the story. He didn't have a good reason to kill those cats based on what he was experiencing if he wasn't yeah. afraid for his life. If he were afraid, that would yeah. lead him to want to fight and take care of them. But they had to like kind of do a loop, loop, loopy kind of logic to be like, oh, you know what? I don't like the look of those claws. So but it's like if you don't like the look of those claws, why not? Because you're afraid that they would use them to harm you. Then you are afraid, yeah. you know, like. Yeah. I'm like, was he afraid that they would punch holes in any of the <laughs> like card, the cards in the card game? They said that he wanted to play them. Yeah. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm going to murder you because you might damage my cards with the claws. You have. <laughs> but I mean, that being said, like I. No, in my life, I've let fear stop me from doing things oh, yeah. that, like, I shouldn't have. Yeah, me too. Number one, top of my list, is uh, get not getting a driver's license until I was 25. <laughs> <laughs> until your brain had had time to fully form and you were able to take these, make these risky oh, decisions, man. like man. driving a car. Oh, man. When I had my learner's permit... I had a really scary, it wasn't an accident, but I like spun out on the freeway. Oh, geez. And that was when I was like 19. And the reason why I didn't have a learner's permit till I was 19 was because I lived in a foreign country. Yeah. And I couldn't get my driver's license when I was living in Thailand because of like how insurance and visas and all that stuff works. But but yeah, so I had this really scary experience when I, when I had my learner's permit and I never wanted to drive like again. And I didn't drive for like six years, wow. which that is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> because it was like, if I had just gotten right back to it, and gained like the confidence that I needed. Yeah. Like I, cause it was like, it, 
it was hard for me to get around and do the things that I needed to do or kind of be in control of my own life. I had to rely on like a lot of other people yeah, because of that. And so like that was detrimental. Like, yes, driving can be dangerous. You should practice and learn how to do it and follow like all like the safety laws because yeah. it is actually a dangerous it thing. Is. It's the most dangerous thing you do like every day. But for yeah. most people, it's like one of the things that they're the least scared by. I was thinking about this while I was driving. I've been driving. I normally listen to podcasts and stuff a lot when I drive, but recently I haven't been. And I've just been like sitting and thinking while I'm driving along, which has been really nice. But one of the things I was thinking about was like, man, driving is like one of the most dangerous things that we do, but we find it so boring that we have to do something else that makes it really like more dangerous because I've had that experience where I'm like so engrossed in a book or whatever, like audiobook or a podcast that I forget kind of where I am, which could be really dangerous. But it's like, you know, this most dangerous thing that I do in my entire life is so boring that I have to do other things while I'm doing it. Like I'm not sitting there concentrating on it. Yeah. And it's like, I was so afraid for so long that like I made my life worse. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like fear can be really bad, but at the same time, like you pointed out, that's the same as like pain. It's necessary. It helps us. Like it serves a purpose. Yeah, but you also have to be able to know when it is helpful and purposeful and when it's not. You telling that story about getting in an accident reminded me of something that at the time I thought was really smart. And you almost like said it yourself. But I was, there was a story where some guy was telling me like his daughter was on her way to a concert and she got in like a pretty bad car accident. But nobody was injured, but the car was like completely totaled and she was like really shaken up and she was like, oh, I just want to go home. And he had like driven out to go and be with her and like kind of take care of the thing. He's like, no, you take my car, you get in, you drive my car to the concert, have a good time. I'll deal with getting the car back and and take care of the situation here. So she went on and went to the concert, had a great time. And it was like, that was really smart because what he was doing was exactly what you were saying you wish had happened where, yes, these bad things can happen, but it doesn't mean that you need to just not do that thing ever again. Because like you said, it would negatively impact her life. Instead, she got to go on continue the trip without getting an accident, have this really great memory that was made possible by going to this concert because she was able to drive there herself and drive back and realize like, oh yeah, you know what? I'm not going to get in a car accident every time I drive from now on. And I was like, that was a really smart thing uh, for him to have, have done, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, learn the appropriate lessons from fear, but you need to know when your fear is either like irrational or when it is holding you back from experiencing life. Yeah. Man, that'd be such a good ender for this. Except we haven't talked about Nazis yet. (laughs) I did not see that coming. (laughs) So while I was uh, researching this story, I was looking in my The Oxford Companion to Fairy Tales. (laughs) Sounds like so fancy. But I was... Uh, just looking at resources, I like to like kind of look at all the resources I have, see what little tidbits are everywhere, and then kind of piece them together for an episode. And I was pretty shocked when my uh, my little literary research journey led me to Nazi Germany. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's interesting because we've talked 
slightly a little bit about this on the podcast before about uh, fairy tales being used for propaganda. Mm-hmm. We mentioned it in the Momotaro episode because we talked about how that was kind of used as a kind of like a, a rallying yeah. cry for the Japanese people of like, hey, in the story of Momotaro at the beginning, like he is fighting to defend the empire and you also need to defend the empire during this war. Yeah. Um, and then we mentioned it briefly in, I think it was the Russian Winter Tales. Uh, because, like, it was the story that they used as propaganda was actually the the Emperor's New Clothes. Mm. And the people who were using it as propaganda were actually using it subversively, like, against the Russian government. Yeah. So when I found this little piece, like, uh, inside the Oxford Companion to Fairy Tales... I was like, oh, awesome. This is like something that we've kind of touched on and like wanted to talk a little bit more about, but haven't like kind of had the right angle to get in to it. And so like now we're finally going to be talking a little bit about this. So the story of the youth who went forth to learn what fear was, was turned into a silent puppet show is what it sounds like it was it was a filmed puppet is it says it was a prize-winning puppet film based on the Grimm's fairy tale so it and it didn't have sound on it and it was used for teaching nazi values so everybody who just listened to this story i don't know if you got that from the story at all. But somebody apparently heard this story and was like, you know what? I think this would be a good thing to teach children uh, in schools about what kind of a person they should be. So I don't know for me, what I got out of the story was more about like not letting fear either like hold you back or just this is a funny story and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Like I I didn't really get anything other than that like out of it. It's kind of even hard to see what they were latching onto to teach any sort of values, let alone Nazi values. Yeah. And that's even what, you know, Katrina shared the this little quote from the Oxford Companion to Fairy Tales talking about the same thing. Like it's not supposed to be in the original Grimm's version this this whole, I don't know, propaganda-ish lesson thing. It's just like kind of a comical story. But it goes on to say, however, Paul Dial's 1935 adaptation, which is the that puppet film of this story, gives it a different inflection. His was one of a range of silent short films made for the State Office of Educational Films and widely shown in German schools. The scene of the night in the castle, though it follows Grimm closely in parts, shows clearly this altered ideological orientation. This youth, now given the name Hans, is swift and violent in his dispatch of a variety of grotesque creatures. He skewers one on the fork and holds it over a flame. He fastens the cat in a vice, cuts its head off, and tosses it into the moat. Unlike the written text, in which the youth feels sorry for a dead body and tries to warm it up, Dio presents him as pitiless. Since the film has no soundtrack, teachers could talk over it and impose an interpretation. Children were taught that the action of the film symbolizes the necessity for German fearlessness in stamping out enemies of the state. 
And it goes on to say that though there's nothing that is specifically subversive in this film, there is much that is typically Nazi in outlook with its approbation of killing and force coupled with callousness. The film was therefore suppressed and is little known today, despite the technical proficiency of its animation. (laughs) Sounds like whoever wrote this was kind of a fan of the technical aspects of the film, but yeah. And and that I can see. And of course, in that adaptation, it sounds like they changed it too. Because as I mentioned, when we were talking about it, like, this guy is actually pretty compassionate. He does a lot of these things out of a place of compassion for yeah. these especially dead bodies that he has a fondness for uh, trying to warm up, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, in this, it's like they just His made dead him... bodies he has a fondness <laughs> for. <laughs> Yikes. But in this in this film, it sounds like it was a lot more like, oh, here are these enemies and he's not afraid. He's just going to do what he has to do and like, kill them which i feel like you see in the in the scene with the sexton a lot more where it's like oh this person's here and they're not listening to what i say and they're not identifying themselves they shouldn't be here i'm just gonna throw them down the stairs like he jumps to violence so quickly as a result of of being fearless which is kind of a messed up thing to be trying to teach to children like hey uh don't be afraid to just use violence to enforce our i don't know yeah, to like attack quote unquote like enemies of the state, which are basically everybody that your government has decided are horrible people. Yeah. And that like that like it is a horrible message that like, oh, it's okay to use violence as long as you do it against the people that we want you to. In fact, it's a great quality for somebody to be pitiless and callous and non-feeling when they're attacking like other people. That's yeah, that's like terrifying to think about being taught that in school. Yeah. Like that it's with you this know, cute teachers... little animated film with puppets. Yeah, which... <laughs> Which is like, oh, now he's going to kill these cats. It's like, nope, inappropriate. But it, it is incredible to me how like fairy tales get like really treated like almost like nothing, not really like worth a whole lot of like attention, especially studying like literature. But it's incredible to me how much in history like it pops up as a tool for sending a message to people both to like older people who they're like we know you know the story you've heard this story before and if you look at it through these lenses i think that you'll see what we are talking about yeah like how we're framing it or how it applies to like you in this situation but also how they use them to aim the stories like directly at children to like kind of indoctrinate like young minds and so it's just it's incredible and frightening and Mm -hmm. sad kind of all at the same time that something that you know kind of when people say like fairy tales it's this like whimsical reminder of younger days um and like when you were a kid and like how wonderful the magical childhood could be but then it's also like and sometimes they use these for propaganda which is like again brilliant and devious and horrible and it's that's the reason why they can use it so successfully because I see it almost as kind of like this way to as like inception to put an idea into your brain because you've been hearing these stories since you're a kid. They're very ingrained in you and your culture. You understand them. And so if you can like co-opt this thing that someone already holds dear to slightly change the message to be something that you want them to embody and act on, 
You know, it's like easier yeah. to do that with something that's already so important to them rather than trying to feed them something new. You know, they'll be yeah. more likely to accept it because they already have accepted part of it. You're just trying to have them accept this slightly altered premise of it, which is yeah. which and is it, interesting. And it also like helps if because it's so like culturally ingrained, like the stories, like you don't even necessarily realize that you are hearing mention of them like all over the place because it's just it's so much part of like your daily life that like you don't even need to hear like the whole story of something to understand what message yeah because in i was gonna say in a less insidious way than like nazis we have like advertisements yeah. that like they do the exact same thing. If they want to sell you like lipstick and they compare it with like the visuals of like Sleeping Beauty, like lying there just like waiting for a kiss or like breath mints or like whatever, yeah. like they they know you already have like the cultural knowledge like about the story that they can just start the story there at the end. And know that you'll get the message because you already have ingrained inside of you through so much cultural like messaging. Yeah. You already know like what's going on in the story. And it's like a, it's a shortcut to send a message. But propaganda in wartime works exactly the same way where they're like, hey, kids, remember the Grimm's brothers? Some of our national heroes? Here's a story from them. Yeah. And the kids already like kind of know the, some of these like stories and they're like aware of them. And and so it is easier to like pass on that message. And the other dangerous thing about it is the fact that they're seen as trivial by especially adults makes it easier to pass these things off to children. Like your kid comes home from school and says, oh, what did you do today? It's like, oh, we watched a movie about this well-known fairy tale in our culture. They're like, okay, nothing suspicious about that or anything that I need to pay attention to. But be yeah. like, like I know, for example, like my, my son will watch like TV and he'll go on Netflix and get on whatever. It's like, I don't know what half the shows that he's watching are about. And I'm not paying that close attention. I'm like, oh, it's like a kid's show. And because yeah. of that, I, I overlook it. I'm not really paying attention to like what messages they might be trying to like teach him or something. And not that I suspect that they will, but it's the same sort of thing here is like it goes under the radar for adults and other people like academic, serious people, people that might be like, hey, this is not such a good thing because they just don't know that it's going on, which I like the example yeah. that you brought up the in the other episode where you're talking about in Russia, you know, they use that same fact, but turned it on its head because People weren't paying attention. The authorities weren't paying attention to fairy tales. They were able to use them as like subversive criticisms of the government because it didn't draw the attention of the government. That's a more fun way to use it rather than the other way around. The government <laughs> trying to, you know, shove ideas and things down the throats of our children. But what's funny about that to me is like we think of it as like turning it on our head because of where we sit in right exactly. now in history and like the country that like we sit in yeah. because I'm like, if I had been born like a different person, I might've thought that what they were doing was, was good. Yeah. Insidious. Like instilling the right but, yeah. values in our children or whatever. Yeah. I mean, obviously the yeah. Nazis ruthlessness and things are not things that are something that I'm aligned with and the propensity yeah. towards quick and swift violence against our so-called enemies. But one thing that was so interesting about them in Russia, knowing that, the government was keeping an eye on literature that was being published for adults yeah. because they were like, oh, 
if they try to like, you know, pass on this message of resistance through adult literature, we're going to keep an eye on that. But like kids literature, they were letting a lot more like fly, yeah. <laughs> like a lot more get through. And so they were able to like, like kind of sneak these like stories in there. Um, but going back to like this story and Nazi Germany, we haven't talked about it a whole lot or I don't think we've talked about it at all on the podcast so far, especially um, in relation to the Brothers Grimm stories. But there are anti-Semitic uh, stories inside of the Brothers Grimm collection mm -hmm. that we have not covered yet. And so I'm like, even that idea, you know, of Nazi Germans deciding to take the Grimm's brothers and use them as a message or at, use them as a vehicle to send a message about how they want them to be in treating like the Jewish people and also homosexuals, the Roma people, any like non-Aryans. The Brothers Grimm is actually like, it's not super <laughs> far off from like aligning with some of those values yeah. in some of the stories, which is like something that we definitely like should mention yeah. like on the podcast just because yeah i i think people should be aware that like the brothers grim even though they're classics and we reference back to them and stuff they are racist like they have like racist tales i mean we've we've run into racism in a lot of different countries fairy tales like discussing on the podcast mm -hmm. and so it's not it's not it shouldn't be super shocking to people that the Brothers Grimm's tales have some anti-Semitic tales, but it is worth mentioning. So it doesn't sound like we're trying to clear the Grimm's yeah. of all charges. How dare they pervert point, the Grimm's things when the Grimm's actually were pretty close, didn't need much perversion to get there in some instances. Yeah. It's like, nope, that was, it's already like in there. Yeah. Um, so it's like, sorry, Grimm's brothers. I'm going to call you out. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. They're dead. They can stand the criticism. So, yeah, propaganda. It's not great. So Nazis aside, which was kind of a downer. This was a very appropriate story to start off. The spooktacular month of October. Because it had a it's lot the of best month, <laughs> a lot of spooky, scary, fun elements. So I think creepy, very creepy. And I think this is a good one, you know, to if you if you have find yourself having some sort of, you know, creepy bonfire where you're telling stories. This would be a good one to get some some creepy elements in while also lightening the mood with a hilarious tale of someone bumbling their way to success. One thing that I absolutely love hearing from people who listen to the podcast is when they tell me that they have been telling some of the stories either to their kids when appropriate <laughs> <laughs> or like this telling their not this or their spouses or uh just you know whatever life partners or family members that they have in their life that they're like hey do you want to hear a good story yeah, and then that's awesome they just share something so i think now especially you know, the days are getting shorter, the sun is going down, and so with all that darkness at night, it's always a good time to, like, sit around and tell. Not, you can tell spooky stories if you want, but to just sit around and tell stories.
you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. My brain wants to say something like Sherlock Watson, where it's like, uh, like, my God, Watson, or there's some exclamation <laughs> from Sherlock Holmes. I can't remember what it is. By Jove. By Jove. <laughs> By Jove, Watson. There should be Great. more man here. <laughs> there should be more man. This is too little. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, what?